in your Bible, please. The book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. You are well aware that this is the first church that was established in Europe during that second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. This letter is the second of seven letters that he wrote from prison. Each one of these prison epistles have a special emphasis those that Paul is writing from prison because they have a very special place in his heart. And none have a more special place than this church at Philippi. He has told us in the early verses of this epistle, this letter, that they are special because they have partnershiped with him in the gospel of Jesus Christ from the very beginning. When they responded to, by faith, the good news of Christ, from that moment on, that body of believers there in Philippi were part of sharing that gospel with others through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And it is that he had a special prayer for them. If you will, let your attention go back to verse 9 of chapter 1, where we arrived after five months of study. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. This is one of four prayers in three of these prison epistles. This particular prayer, as is true of all four of the prayers, is a prayer of intimacy. The relationship that he knows they have with the Lord Jesus Christ, he prays would become more intense. And as that intimacy, that relationship becomes more intense, that they will have greater insight to all that they have in Christ Jesus. And all that is expected of them in Christ Jesus. And so this prayer for the church at Philippi is an intimate insight into their performance. They are being prayed for by Paul that they might enter in more fully to the knowledge, the discernment, and approving of things excellent. They are to be sincere, without offense, filled with the fruits 
of righteousness to the glory and praise of God. I pray for you. My prayer is that you will go deeper in your intimate relationship with the Lord that will give you greater insight to what he wants you to know and then to do. Greater insight, discernment, and then doing what God has graciously revealed is the purpose for which you are here to bring praise to his name. We came to that verse and we then took a parenthesis because, as I mentioned, there are three other prayers from Paul's prison experience, the first prison experience from 60 AD to 62 AD. And Ephesians is the very first epistle from his first imprisonment and records for us the first prayer from prison. And we looked at that several weeks ago. Chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you spiritual wisdom, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, intimate insight into his person. Spirit of wisdom, revelation, in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. This intimate insight into his person and his plan. He has a plan for you. And it is a plan that concerns the future. My desire is that you would more intently experience the reality of the hope that is in you. The hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Your hope in the future your inheritance in the future, your birthright, that which is yours because you're born into the family of God. We have a hope. That hope is to be with him forever because we are his child. We belong to him. We are his beloved. That is yet to be fully experienced in the future. That's our hope. There's an inheritance. This is not a birthright. It's a bequeathed right. All that God has for us in Christ Jesus, he has given to us in his son. That which he yet has for us to experience is an inheritance awaiting. A hope an inheritance, the future. Come on over to 
Act, uh, Romans, excuse me, Romans chapter 8. Reading from verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. This is God's plan. His creation has a future because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. The material creation, the pinnacle of that material creation, mankind, together are moving toward their hope, their expectation of a fullness yet to be experienced of redemption, being delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for it, for if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. There is that which is yet to be fully realized, a hope that is ours, a birthright, the inheritance as well yet to be experienced in the future. Come on over to 1 Peter. Chapter 1, reading from verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a living hope. That's our birthright. And the Ganeo. Remember Jesus in his earthly ministry said, you must be born anew again. Begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The expectation of the fullness of the revelation that redemption is a new body, a new existence with him through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is our bequeathed right. What is ours? By virtue of belonging. To an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away, reserved for you in heaven, 
who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed. This has nothing to do with the rewards of those who, in Christ Jesus, are doing those things which are pleasing to him. For by grace have we been saved through faith, that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But we are a new creation in him unto good works, which God hath purposed, planned, ordained that we should be walking about in them. And as we do those things which are pleasing to him, until we go to be with him, we are rewarded. Those rewards will be offered up to him. But our inheritance is not the rewards of doing. It is the bequeathed inheritance, the bequeathed blessings that God has yet for us because we belong to him. I don't know specifically in all the details what yet awaits me, what awaits you. But I know this, there is an inheritance that is ours. It's already awaiting us in heaven. Nothing can diminish it. Nothing can take it away. That's our inheritance. And so Paul is praying for those there in Ephesus. Come on back to Ephesians. for their intimate insight into God's person, his plan, the hope, the inheritance, yet in the future. But also, he prays for the here and the now. You'll notice he says, for the hope of your calling." What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? And this power is according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. My prayer for you there in Ephesus, Paul says, is a prayer concerning your future, your hope, your inheritance. But it's also my prayer for your present, that you might experience the fullness of the power that God has provided for you to live this life, here and now. I'm going over to Romans again. This time, chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, the good news of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh. 
The good news of God concerns Jesus Christ. It concerns the Christ, the anointed of God, coming into human experience. The master plan of Messiah was formulated and put in place before the foundation of the world. But then it was enacted. It was fleshed out literally when the Son of God took on our humanity. When he came in the flesh. And in the flesh of David, the descendant of David. Just keep your foot in Romans and come on over to Matthew's Gospel. Chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately, secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, Yahweh saved. For he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah saying, Behold, virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And Joseph being aroused from the sleep did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her first son. And he called him Jesus. The good news of God is the good news that God has come in the flesh, that the anointed, the promised one, the Messiah, has come into human experience in accordance with God's master plan, through the flesh, through the line of David. Look at Luke chapter 1. Verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin was named Mary. And having come, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one who has received grace of the Lord. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. 
Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found grace. You have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jehovah saves. His name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, Isaiah, the promised Prince of Peace, through David. The throne of David he will sit upon, and he will reign over the house of Jacob, the earthly kingdom, forever, and his kingdom there is no end. The eternal kingdom, the good news of God, is the good news of God coming in flesh through the seed of David, the Prince of Peace, the promised one. Going back to Ephesians. I'm sorry, Romans. Chapter 1. It's good news. It's the good news of God. It's the good news of his son. It's the good news of the resurrection. Concerning, verse 3, his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection of the dead. Here's the promise. My anointed is coming. He's coming in accordance with my master plan. He is the savior. He's going to reign over the kingdom for a thousand years. He's going to reign over a kingdom that is eternal. He is now here. And in order that you don't miss that this Jesus who came in the flesh is God, I raised him from the dead. Come on back to Matthew. Again, this time, chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone from the door, and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow. And the guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. For he is risen as he said. Matthew records in the 16th chapter, in the 17th chapter, in the 20th chapter, Jesus' own words. I must go to Jerusalem. I must be betrayed. I must be offered up. I must be crucified. 
and I must be raised again from the dead. This was part of the plan. He proclaimed that three times. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee, and you will see him. Behold, I have told you. All questions concerning who Jesus of Nazareth truly is are clarified in his resurrection. That's how he's declared. He came humbly. He came as our sin bearer. But he's God. And if you missed all that he did and said during his earthly ministry, here's the clarification that you don't miss who he really is. He's been raised. He's alive. He lives forever. Back. Romans, the fifth verse. Declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you are also the called of Christ, his beloved. To all who are in Rome, Beloved of God, called saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of through the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. It's the gospel of God, good news. It's the gospel of his Son, Good news, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests, if by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that we together, that I may be encouraged together with you, by the mutual faith, both of you and me. We're in this together. I want to come and share with you that we can participate in all that we have in Christ. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among other Gentiles. I'm a debtor, both the Greeks barbarians, wise, unwise. So as much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the good news, the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the gospel of God, his good news. It's the gospel of his son. It's his good news. It's the gospel of Christ. 
It's his good news. I'm not ashamed of that. For it's the power of God. It's the power of God to salvation, deliverance for everyone. Jew, Gentile matters not for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, then for the Greek. For in it, the power of God, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. That is, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. This good news, this gospel of God, this gospel of his son, this gospel of Christ is powerful to deliver. This gospel, I'm not ashamed of. For this gospel reveals how God has made all things right with himself. The righteousness of God is revealed. One word of 1 Corinthians. Verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is moronic, foolishness. That's where we get our word moron, mori. To those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Remember I shared with you before, our salvation is an act of God whereby he has provided a right relationship with himself through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The moment we believe, we are saved, delivered, and we are sealed. We have this relationship once for all. But there is also a process, and that process is one of being set apart unto him. That process is one of being conformed unto his image. So we are saved, but we are being saved. And ultimately, he is going to present us unto himself perfect. If you haven't noticed lately, some of you probably have, I'm not quite perfect. Not quite. But neither are you. But we are in Christ Jesus, but there is yet to be that perfection in him to be realized. So we're being saved by the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, wow me. Greeks seek wisdom, woo me. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. It's a scandal. To the Greeks, 
moronic, makes no sense, it's stupid, it's foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Look at chapter 2 of Romans verse of Corinthians chapter 2 verse 4 and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men but in the power of God 2 Corinthians chapter 13 Verse 4, for though he was crucified in weakness, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives. How? By the power of God. For we also are weak in him. But, we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Back to Romans again, the sixth chapter. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? That has nothing to do with water baptism. That is the spirit baptizing us into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. We've been baptized into his death. Therefore, we're buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. That's why Paul says, the church in Galatia, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I lived. Yet, not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the Son of God, the power of the Son of God in me, who gave himself for me. Philippians chapter 3. Our parentheses from verse 9 of chapter 1 this epistle to the church at Philippi has taken us to the other prison prayers. The first one, the prayer to the and for the church at Ephesus. Prayer for their hope. Prayer, if 
for their inheritance, that they might enter into the fullness of understanding, discernment, and appreciating all that is theirs in Christ. But also, he prays for the immediate, that they may fully not only understand, but appropriate the power that is in us of the resurrected Christ. And so, in the third chapter of the letter to the church at Philippi, we read these words at verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet I, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. That's, that's his prayer each time for that intimate insight into what God has revealed. I count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge, the experiential knowledge of Christ, Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. The law provided a protection. Those who obeyed the Levitical system were under the provision of protection from the wrath of God, but it wasn't propitious. That wasn't satisfying. There was yet to be the perfect sacrifice not the sacrifices of the law. But Paul could say, as he did just a couple of verses before, before the law, blameless, but not the righteousness from the law. Be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him experientially, discern understand, go deeper and deeper into my appreciation of him and of his power, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death if by any means I may obtain to the resurrection of the dead. Power to persevere through persecutions, through whatever life throws at me. There's power. It's not my power. It's his indwelling person and presence and power, the power of his resurrection that I am to draw upon, that I am to rely upon. Nothing in myself Nothing of this world. It's all through him. And Paul's prayer was for the church at Philippi, the church at Ephesus, and as we'll see later, the church at Colossae, that they might enter into the more intimate insight that he has revealed for his own. And that we might 
understand our purpose and perform to his praise. That we might understand and relish in the hope that is ours. Our birthright, child of God. That we might understand and appropriate our inheritance that awaits us simply because we're his. And that we might be victors, overcomers in this life by his power. The power of his resurrection within us. Father, may this prayer be not only the prayer that Paul offered up in behalf of his brothers and sisters, in Philippi, for his brothers and sisters in Ephesus, but for his brothers and sisters in Naples, for us. Thank you, Lord, for who you are, what you've done, what you're doing, and what you're yet to do. And as a people of faith, may we live to the praise of your glory until we are presented perfect. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.